Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. And this week I'm joined by a, well, a blast from my past, really. Um, a, a friend of mine by the name of um, Samir Khan. Um, you'll hear when we start talking, we kind of go a long way back. And he's been on quite an interesting um, transformative journey. Um, in his life and has kind of moved from the rap type scene and like he was an independent artist and was kind of you know on that hustle um, probably about 12 13 years ago now um, and then kind of moved away and uh, now has set up like a um, well he, he lives in Morocco with his family um, and and has, has has gone down a much more religiously inclined path um, and, and is encouraging others as well to kind of make uh, a, a migration out to a, a Muslim country. He obviously um, is in Morocco, prefers that for himself. Um, but we, we, we got speaking because he posted like a, um, something that he had, he had recorded. He had done like a, a I think it was a 99 Names of Allah. Um, and so I, I thought he, put, he sent it to me on Facebook and I thought, actually, let, let me reach out to him. So we had a phone call. I'm just catching up and I just thought it would be worth um, people hearing his his story and his journey because I think there are always so many parallels um, and things that we can take away especially when someone has kind of gone through such a transformative time um, and I realize I'm at that place now at the age of, of, of 30 where uh, you you see people um, kind of almost do a full circle at times and and really go from one place when you you know in, in your in your teens and early 20s so then when you're kind of 30 there's this almost like thing in your head that you kind of realize okay I'm I'm now this is me I'm an adult I'm you know um, in the prime of my life um, and it's it's fascinating because I think like for myself when I take a look around and I see all the people that I have known in the past and you see the kind of trajectory and journey that they're going on uh, I mean, social media is great for that. If you ever want to stalk, <laughs> not advocating stalking here, but if you ever want to, like, you know, just just have a look at what your friends from high school are up to, um, you can kind of see and map out and just tell by the types of posts they're putting out, what kind of life they're living. Um, and it's interesting because because like I've had friends of mine from school, for example, who have um, over time become religious practicing Christians. Um, and, and they've got in touch about the Muslim vibe and said they really like what we're doing and whatever else. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy because we're always on this kind of journey and we're always changing. Um, and I think what's really important, um, regardless of anything, is just being able to um, be aware, like mentally aware of, of where we are in our journey and where we're going um, and what the aim and the direction is. Um, Sorry, I just remembered before we um, before we play the or you know before the the main conversation. Um, I think I had uh, basically I recorded this one from home on my laptop, which I've never done before, and I think my audio got a little bit messed up because my laptop is a bit crap. Um, so I apologize in advance. My audio is a little bit choppy. I think you can pretty much make out what I'm saying, but there's like some random noises. Um, yeah, the feedback type noises. Um, but yeah, so I, I apologize. It won't happen again. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but the majority of it is there. So uh, yeah, here's my conversation with um, Samir. 
Salam Samir. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you very much for, for joining me on this podcast. It's a bit special for me because we've known each other for what, like 14 years maybe now? And, and argue with very different people um, when we first met. So I, I remember I was in college and um, my cousin used to work in an opticians in Harrow. And after college, sometimes I'd go down to Harrow and I'd meet him. Um, and he'd be worth just kind of hang out in, in yes. opticians as, as you do, apparently. Um, and you were also working in that opticians with my cousin. Um, and that's how we met. Um, and to think now about the kind of journey that we're going to talk about your personal journey. Life can change so drastically in, in just a bit. kind of crazy. Um, so I think I want to kind of jump straight into your story. Um, and I don't know where to start, to be honest, because I think for me, the most pertinent points are around your transition of music, how you got into that whole space. Um, and then if people are watching the video of this interview, you're, you're not dressed like a musician or rapper. Um, you're, you're dressed very, very differently right now and, and you've relocated as well. Um, so I think let's just start, I guess, introducing the former Sam mm. Khan. Um, what what was that? kind of what why did you get into music and rap and, and also arguably I think you were pretty good if you want to talk about some of the accolades that you received in your former life it would be good just to kind of um yeah paint the picture thanks a lot for inviting me on here man it's so good to see you um and uh, yeah when we talk it's just even though it's been so many years it feels like yesterday, you know, that we were just chilling out, like you said, in Harrow, <laughs> in the opticians. Um, in my journey uh, started, I guess, from a young age. I used to like writing poems and poetry. Um, and then uh, I used to write about my life and the things that I was going through. And uh, I was raised by a single parent, my father. So it was just me, my father and my sister. And uh, I used to write about the, the, the struggles that I felt in my life at the time. And uh, I used to feel a sense of, um, it was like therapy almost, like making something good out of something bad. Because when I used to write about a negative experience in a creative way, uh, you know, it's just like a release. And then, uh, and then uh, actually I, I I bought a cheap microphone, started recording, uploaded a few things online. Um, and, uh, and yeah, started getting a you know, good, good response online. And my name's Samir Khan, so my rap name was Sam Khan. And, uh, sorry, say that again, bro. I said it's very original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It took a lot of <laughs> thinking. And, uh, I recorded my first uh, EP, which is like a, a short album. And uh, most of the tracks were about my life and, um, and, uh, and also a way for me to sort of display my, my lyrics. And BBC Asian Network playlisted a couple of the tracks. I sent it to them. And I, at the time, it was the MySpace era. You remember MySpace? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> so before all the whole social media that we've got now. So it started on MySpace and then obviously Facebook and whatnot. And then SubhanAllah, I, I was battling as well during that time. So I won a few 
MC battle competitions. Um, and that got my name out to some industry heads. Um, and like one of my tracks was playlisted on Kiss 100 for a little short period of time. And with a, being an independent artist, it sort of builds gradually and you have to do self-promoting. And I had a few friends from college that used to help me with videos. And then at, at the same time, I was working in an opticians because uh, due to domestic circumstances, although I had the grades to be able to do A-levels and uni, I got good grades for GCSEs. I had to do a diploma instead of A-levels because I needed to start earning money sooner. And uh, that was a optics diploma. So that's why I started working in an opticians after that. I was actually a dispensing optician. Um, so I used to help people choose their glasses yeah. and measure the distance between their eyes. And that was my job. Um, and I was working in Harrow for a long time. And that's where you and I met because uh, your cousin was also working there. Because uh, I grew up in Kingsbury, which is northwest London. When, first Wembley, I, we initially lived in a council estate in Wembley called Chalk Hill Estate, which got demolished. And then so we moved out of that and then we moved to Kingsbury. Uh, so Harrow wasn't far. And then, uh, you know, the, I had one or two videos playlisted on uh, Channel U, Channel AK. There were these uh, independent there were these music uh, video channel, TV channels. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was so I was working a couple of days a week and I was uh, performing and recording. I had a home studio, so I didn't have to go anywhere else to record. Um, so that's how I became Sam Khan, basically. I, 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 um, wanted to, I wanted to come in here. So I, I, I know for you, because I guess how far removed your life is now from that, it almost feels a bit difficult to, to reminisce and talk about it. And you're struggling a little bit to kind of um, remember it almost even in a positive way. And I, f I fully get yeah. that. But I think it's worth objectively stating that, you know, when it came to the kind of the rap battles and stuff that you had won and, and the videos were up on YouTube, I remember seeing that stuff and I was like, wow, this is the same guy who's like giving people glasses in a, in, a, <laughs> in an opticians in Harrow. It, it was, there was quite a big disconnect there. But and and you had music videos like you mentioned. I remember there was one with Charlie Sloth very near the end of your kind of time, who's who's a bigger name, I guess, yeah. in that scene. Um and and you were kind of pursuing that career, but I remember at the time when I would when I would talk to you, there was this kind of element of trying to use the gift that you had and channel it towards something positive. So your kind of mantra and the the merchandise that you produced at the time, I had one of your t shirts, said be somebody on it. That was your kind of um your you know yeah your i don't know yeah. your phrase your catchphrase whatever you want to call it yeah. but it was i i liked i guess the vibe of of that 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 for you it wasn't just about being a musician necessarily it was actually about doing some sort of positive you know doing something positive encouraging younger people as well and, and and kind of pushing people in that way what was the so you mentioned that it was a form of therapy for yourself um and, and that it was about channeling the negative experiences that you had and actually i remember in one of the music videos you had um there was like imagery of like a of, of a single parent home type situation i think yeah i can't remember which one yeah, that was but yeah. it, like it's i mean it's quite a consistent theme with artists that they channel their emotions through their art um and obviously for yourself that was an outlet and something that you kind of needed and and used at the time 
But I think what's what's then interesting to understand, and this is something that I didn't fully see, which is why I thought, you know what, let's actually do this podcast. I can ask you the questions. But we we bumped into each other once. You reminded me of this. We bumped into each other on the train. Um, and at that point, you had kind of given up the music stuff and you were taking things in a slightly different direction. But I think what's interesting for people to understand, I guess, are the principles of of what inspired that change? What was the the, the spark in your own mind? And then how you kind of embarked yeah. on that journey? Because arguably, had you pursued that career? Yes, as you say, you know, you were independent. You weren't kind of um, breaking the top 10 charts or anything like that. But the independent game is always a hustle and you're always going to be keep, you know, going. And, yeah. and you were, I saw myself in the kind of few years that I knew you and, and you were doing this stuff, that your career was going in, in a positive direction and you were growing a fan base. And again, as you said, before the days of Instagram and before the days of Twitter, so it's very difficult. Back then it was very difficult to kind of quantify your base. Um, whereas now you can see how many Instagram followers someone has and all that kind of stuff. But there was still yeah. like a... a, a I want to call it a movement. I think that might be overstating it a little bit, but you know what I mean? You, you yeah. are gaining momentum. Um, so yeah. what, I guess, did it for you? Like what changed the direction and the trajectory that you decided to take? Well, well first of all, thanks for bringing up Be Somebody because uh, <laughs> I should have mentioned that in the, in the intro. That was one of the positive things. And I think you, you blanked that out because it came with all the negative, right? Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so exactly. Um, I did want to do something positive and it started out for me when I reminisce positively um, in a sense that people could relate to the tracks. And back then when I used to listen to certain lyricists talking about just pain, just the pain that they went through, even if it wasn't exactly the same experience as me, because I felt that someone else was talking about pain and I also could relate to that emotion, it made me feel sort of less alone or let you, you know, makes you feel sort of less lonely in that. So it did start off like that. And then with the be somebody thing, I, and I always had, alhamdulillah, um, faith in Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. I grew up, it's a Muslim family, but I wasn't practicing and it wasn't a practicing environment. Um, and so although the faith was there, the implementation wasn't there, um, but there were some things within me that, um, that were going to sort of, um, develop as time went on. Uh, one of them was wanting to do something positive, make a positive change. But later I realized that it's myself that I needed to start with, with the positive change rather than going out and preaching or on songs or talking about positivity to others, which can have a limited positive effect, but it is limited. When you go out there too early in your journey in life to start talking about positivity and making a positive change without having fully purified yourself, then you can, it's mixed. It's sort of, it's like, it's mixed. It's, um, you can make some positive impact, which I did with, with my tracks, but then because I hadn't purified or I wasn't purifying myself through connection with my Lord in the way that I should have been connected, um, then the nafs, the ego gets involved and the shahawat and the, the whispers of can, can, can I ask without, without going into too much detail you, you mentioned the nafs and the ego and I think ego is obviously one thing you always associate with any sort of stardom fame or notoriety yeah can you remember kind of what else and what other elements were kind of creeping into your mind like was there a thing of oh let me just 
forget this whole positive message and vibe. Let me just go deep end. Like, what what were the thought process at the time? Do you remember? Yeah, I I do remember a few things, which was that um, I'm making tracks, and then at a time, it sort of you know whispers come when, especially when you're trying to make it in the public domain of what can I do that's going to be popular. Not necessarily, what can I do that is going to uh, be mm. a pure act, you know? It, it become, the intentions become, can become uh, compromised because my goal then at that time was, I just want the world to hear my music. I feel like I've got a talent and I just want people to hear it. Um, and through that, I want to do good, but then I also want to earn more money. So then again, that's another intention that can enter. And then if you want to earn money, there's many ways that you can earn money, which are not, <laughs> you know, upright and sort of, you know, the best ways to, to, to earn. You, you can get fame, you can get money. We, can, we see that now with social media. There's many ways to get attention. Um, but if that attention is not gained in the right way. So then I knew that I could make some poppy tracks, some tracks that sounded more pop because I'm able to make melodies and, and hooks as well. So that's something else that I could do. And I could kind of sing my own hooks as well. I didn't always need yeah. to use singers. So then I made a couple of tracks like that. And just so happens that one or two of those, which I felt were emptier in meaning, became very popular. <laughs> and uh, one of them got playlisted on, on, uh, on TV. And again, some other tracks were getting Radio 1 Airplane, even with the MC Battling. It was more so just to get popular, just to be famous, just to get known. The content itself of MC Battling is... Yeah very negative it's just insulting other people and my music wasn't like that it was never like that but then it was losing some of its um authenticity the, the, the tracks that i was making because i started getting obsessed with making it i need to make it i need to okay what can i do i need to i need to get out there i need to start okay taking more photos and using more social media and having an online presence and making a music video with this kind of um, sound and this kind of chorus and this kind of uh, subject matter, which, um, and then also because I was not at that time around religious people and also I wasn't guided, um, it sort of becomes difficult to uh, recognize the limits and the boundaries. I did have boundaries, like I was still, although I said I wasn't practicing, I wasn't drinking alcohol. And, and, you know, doing what I considered at the time to be what might be yeah, considered red, major, red lines, major yeah. sins or like drugs or anything like that. Yeah. But still, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't completely, um, yeah, there was something there, some discontent, like discontentedness. I wasn't fully content, but the be somebody thing, alhamdulillah, that was one, that was one positive sort of slogan. But then again, even that morphed into something that was just, be somebody so like even the concept of that when i left music then i wanted to be nobody and then i spoke to my cousin once about changing the <laughs> t-shirts we were just joking about it because even the concept of be somebody it's something that I really how many want. how many of those t-shirts do you have left i gave them all away to charity it was a charity <laughs> i had a lot of all different colors that i hadn't sold yet <laughs> you, you were ready for the fan base Fan base come flooding yeah. in at some point, right? <laughs> now, subhanAllah, when I came to Morocco and I was looking at places that I might be able to move, we went to this distant village in the mountains. I went to a mountain village and they had an orphanage there where they were teaching kids Quran. 
So alhamdulillah, that's where it was meant to end up. But before before you before you pick up again, I just want to comment on one thing. So it's interesting everything you're mentioning. Um, the the previous podcast we had uh, said Hussein Maki on, and the title was unifying your will with the will of Allah. And and there was a really interesting concept that he put out there, which is that our our fitra and our essence is towards perfection. And and as human beings, as flawed human beings, we don't know what perfection is. Mm. So we will gravitate towards whatever we see to be perfection. So just now you were talking about creating rhymes that were like, or, or you know, creating hooks and songs that were beautiful and would get you the fame that you wanted, or get you the airtime, or the listeners, or the YouTube views, whatever. And in our limited capacity at those individual times, we we lack an understanding of perfection. Yes. Perfection to us is 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 in the very material, mm. and. You, again, it, the reason this came to mind is then you spoke about the fact that you weren't around, uh, you know, religious people. You weren't around Islamically inclined people who I think, and also when you talk about sheikhs and everything else, will anchor you towards God yeah. and you start to see the perfection in God and then everything else just becomes immaterial and yeah, unimportant. Exactly. That's also a nice little plug for the previous episodes. <laughs> if you're listening to this, check out the previous one. Um, but no, no, I, I mean, sorry, carry on. I cut you off. No, You're talking yeah, about no, be like, somebody. You summed it up, basically. You summed it up in that. So that's what it is. It's um, you're not anchored towards God. So you're trying to um, uh, achieve excellence uh, without being connected to the most excellent one who is the creator of excellence. And so attaching yourself to him and sort of focusing on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, was sort of what I was looking for but at the time like you said we're weak humans and we're surrounded by and sometimes consumed by temptation and fame is one of them it's what is something that the nafs the ego likes it likes attention and this is from a young age when we're kids we like attention and that's uh you know that's even more so uh, the case now with social media and uh everyone being able to make a platform for themselves, we can see the sort of attention seeking. We're all that that's an issue with the nafs. Um, do you think do you think it would have been harder for you to pull away in, in today's context? I think it was just there was although it was early days of um, social media, I still had like at the time I think I had about thirteen thousand people on my Facebook and about that the YouTube hits had amounted to two million at that time. When I, when I left it. So it was still something that it was just becoming more professional. I was like figuring out how to do things more professionally, how to release a track that would get airplay straight away, how to start making money from the airplay. Um, so it, it, was, it was just the mercy and, and, uh, and guidance from Allah that came at that time. But I think that had it come at any time, um, it, it would have, it, alhamdulillah, it took me out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in an ayah, Allah is the wali, the ally, the helping friend of the ones who believe. He takes them out of the darkness into the light. And so no matter how dark your situation is, no matter how dark it is, uh, Allah is capable of taking you out of that situation at the time that is destined, at the time that he wills. But for the intention to be there, is the most important thing. Like my intention was to do something good and to be good. Um, uh, but I fell down and I made many mistakes along the way. But I think 
later I realized, and especially from speaking to my teacher here in Morocco, my sheikh explaining to me, he, you know, he said to me that, you know, the niya, the intention is the most important thing. And if you have that, just thank Allah, if you have a good intention, because everything's going to be okay in the end. And if you don't have, if someone's listening, says you can make a good intention. You can make an intention to be better, to improve, to be better than yesterday. And um, the tawfiq and the, you know, sort of success is in the hands of Allah. But, uh, so this happened, this, this music stage happened, and uh, towards the end, I mean, I had made one, or two, I, had, I had one track called The Straight Path, and this was mixed in with all of my pop stuff or rap stuff. And a lot of rap sometimes is just showing off how well you mm. can rhyme. So it is very ego-based. Ego um, but I did have a couple of tracks here and some of my bars, you know, some of the, the, the freestyles that, that were happening that people did recognize. Um, and I appreciated those comments more when people commented about how it affected their life or, rather than the pop stuff that was just getting popular and whatnot. Anyway, I, I remember one event, which was a charity event for Gaza. And for the first time in, year, in many years, because it was around 2008 that I released my first EP and then 2009, 2010, I think it was around 2010, 2011, I met a group of people that used to do charity events and they used to invite Loki to their events. And there was one event where he was performing. I did a little, in, I did a little poem and I sort of uh, saw a different scene and a scene that I felt more comfortable in, even though if it, it was not more as mainstream and uh, it was not the subject matter that you would hear on mainstream radio, which is what I had been pursuing. I felt like uh, I felt that material more and I felt like I wanted to be part of something like that. So, so I, I then um, made a track for, um, for like a charity track. I, I started wanting to just end it. I wanted to just end this whole music thing. And because this was a time where I started realizing and i don't know when and why and how like i said it's just allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's not me that did anything that i wanted to start learning and implementing my religion part of that perhaps was also me meeting some of my mum's side of the family because uh, as a youngster it was just my father my sister and and i i didn't know my mum's side or my mum's side of the family there was like a messy divorce where we were not actually allowed to see my mum until I was 16. I, would, I wouldn't have been allowed to go and visit her on my own. I don't know the details of the whole story, but when I met my mum's side of the family, alhamdulillah, she's got more of an extended family. I met some cousins, mashallah, practicing, praying five times a day. I'm meeting them, benefiting from that. I'm going online, um, watching some Islamic talks on YouTube. I'm now, you know, starting to watch the Islamic channels on TV instead of the music video channels. I'm slowing down the music, not writing as much, realizing something's not right there. And this is where I feel at peace, gravitating towards my creator, I'm praying and uh, trying to implement, wanting to learn Arabic, wanting to have a connection to the Quran. I couldn't even read the Quran properly. Um, and I'm, you know, in my 20s. Uh, and then I thought to myself, subhanAllah, I've committed a lot of mistakes. I've committed a lot of sins. Because then when you start 
going down that path, you then know with yaqeen what is a sin and what is not a sin and what the boundaries are laid out mm. to you. In the, without that, you kind of know it intuitively, but you can ignore it. You can ignore things, but when you start, alhamdulillah, uh, practicing, and you try to understand what you're saying in the dua and in the salah, and you try to understand what it is that our Lord has prescribed for us and why he has uh, forbidden certain things, um, the sins become easier to let go of because you sort of are more sure that that is wrong and that is bad. Um, so what, was, what was that? Sorry, what was that process of realization like for you? Um, it was um, it was a lot of reflection mm. it was a lot of reflection because sorry if I can just add to that while you kind of gather your thoughts a little bit how I see it is that you know logically when you lay out like an Islamic lifestyle and path and and, mm. and staying away from certain acts and, and doing certain ones it's like oh yeah it's a no-brainer you know what I mean we, we all know this we all have our like compass and it makes sense but you know the the reality of how we actually navigate that mm. and how we remain steadfast in that way. You've already mentioned which I I, I was assuming and I thought you know I was going to ask if if it took a lot of that. But yeah, I, I think understanding process is is interesting. Yeah, um, perhaps because of um, my previous career as a rap artist um it also put me in a position where i didn't actually have many friends and a lot of artists might understand this or people in the public eye is that you end up surrounded by people but lonely at the same time because most people are either following something which is temporary like a track that you've released which they're going to get bored of eventually and then find another track or people that want to know you because you are known so they don't really respect you as an individual but they just want the uh, benefits of knowing someone that has a bit of popularity so anyway that um that scene is actually um conducive to somebody getting away and just self-reflecting because there was not that many people that were around me. Um, and sometimes being alone is good because when you're, you're not alone, you're with Allah. Um, and uh, if you have an intention, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can push away the whispers yeah. of the shaitan, the whispers of the devil. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it, it was that, it was a, a slight change. Like, I remember my cousin asked me this once, like how, what changed? And, I tried to list a few things, but in the end, it was just like, it was just the decree of Allah. So I can just thank Allah, but I did have an intention. I just did have a good intention because it was partly meeting good people, slightly more religious people, practicing people. Part of it was realizing that the music industry is very hollow and very impure. The entertainment industry can be very impure. Um, and often it's very, um, based upon appearances um, and what looks good, what sounds good, as opposed to what is actually good mm. within uh, sort of intrinsically good. Um, and uh, that process is difficult to describe, but 
I tried to, um, I, I then played with the thought of continuing music, but making just religious tracks or just positive tracks. I toyed with that idea very briefly. Um, but the last track I did was something that um, it's called Watch Me. It was about, as I said, the, the, I had a track before that called Finish Line where um, I wanted to just, um, yeah, that, that, that was me talking about uh, wanting to go towards my religion and the things that I had abandoned. Um, and then the Orphans track was so that I felt like I've wasted so much time making empty tracks and just tracing fame and I've got this following. But now if I make a track and use this following to raise money for orphans, it's like I can kind of make up for the stuff that I did before with this following that I have. And alhamdulillah, we, 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 we sponsored five orphans, alhamdulillah, through a charity at that time. And then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just inspired me to just want to uh, disappear from the public eye rather than continue on and suddenly become a preacher. And I'm glad because that would have put a ceiling, that would have, that would have put an obstacle or sort of limited the growth. That would have limited the growth because anyone who becomes a little bit practicing can start preaching and sound good to the masses who may not be practicing. And then that person can become like almost a teacher or a guide or a sheikh, but that person is still in the very early stages of their own development. And it's like almost like being a nursery teacher or a primary school teacher. That's good. It's good to be a nursery teacher or a primary school teacher. But if you keep studying, you stay away from the teaching initially and you keep studying, then you can become an A-level teacher. But if you then stay further away, you could perhaps become a university. You know, if you start teaching too soon or as soon as you get some kind of guidance. And uh, it's very... Uh, commonly done now because everybody's automatically connected to the public it can limit you whereas if you completely cut off everything in the public domain you then realize the extent of the purification that you yourself need and the journey that you need and the, the amount of time that you need to and then if and then if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to send you back out if there's some good in you just make a knee and Allah will make the way but not to seek it don't seek it don't seek to be known. Just seek to be purified, purified. So this is what I was realizing at the time. So I, I cut off. And then I felt like getting married would be a good next step in my Islamic journey. So I stopped the music. I stopped social media. Stopped you. So at the time, there was still Facebook, Twitter. Instagram had just started. So it wasn't really as it is now. But it was, and the YouTube. So I took my videos off YouTube as well. And that was something, you know, so uh, th those videos, I'm guessing, are now completely gone from everywhere. Like, yeah, you don't I have mean, them saved on a hard drive at home. You might pull them out. No, subhanAllah. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is that a couple of months later or a year later or two years later, I saw, like, I had put them on private. So I hadn't deleted yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, I put yeah. them on private. And... Uh, and so the only way I could go back and retrieve them is to log back into that account. And now, so a year passes, two year passes, I'm doing my thing, I'm focusing on my life, married, now, you know, focusing on continuing with my Arabic Quran. And then, you know, after a time, I started getting this urge of wanting to maybe, maybe make some of them public again. <laughs> you know, the shaitan comes. And I forgot the part 
for some reason, the password that I thought I remembered didn't, didn't work anymore. <laughs> and I tried so many <laughs> combinations of the password. And I said, subhanAllah, this is a sign from Allah that I do genuinely need to just draw a line under that stuff. At, at this point in your story, um, when we spoke uh, last week on the phone, you said something to me that I don't think I've ever heard and don't think we'll ever hear again from a human being. You said that you moved to Bradford and you found spirituality there. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. As in, not, not to put down Bradford in any way whatsoever, but also Bradford is Bradford. Let's just, let's just leave yeah. it there. Um, so this was, this was the first time that you walked into like a masjid and, and really kind of got your knees under the table of, of like getting into religion. Yeah, I need to explain this Bradford. <laughs> this Bradford. Thing. Oh, so I, I don't know if you remember. I, I couldn't actually fathom what you had yeah. told me on the phone. And I still can't. I mean, just, well, well just to try and, you know, put into context, I was living in Kingsbury um, and there's no mosque, there's no masjid, which is walking distance when I was in London. I grew up in London and there wasn't, a, but there was one in Hendon. Hendon. So as I, when I started uh, getting, uh, focusing on becoming more practicing, I used to take a bus to Hendon and uh, go to a mosque there. Anyway, I got married, alhamdulillah. Um, and then we stayed in London for still a couple of months, uh, my wife and I. And then I, as I was already a dispensing optician, I had the opportunity to be able to convert my diploma into a degree in one year. Normally the optometry degree is three years, but Bradford Uni were offering a accelerated course mm -hmm. for dispensing opticians. And that's why, you know, I chose to move to Bradford with my wife. And this was the first time I was leaving the house, you know, in London. Um, so we went to Bradford, but a couple of months before the university uh, degree was due to start, I enrolled in a sacred sciences course, like a weekend course, just a weekend Islamic course. And this was the first time that I was properly studying with teachers that had been to Mauritania and Yemen and spent 10 years out there and come back and mashallah benefiting the community. And these guys were in, although they were based in Liverpool, they used to come to Huddersfield uh, every Sunday. And so Huddersfield is a bus journey away from Bradford. It used to take like half an hour, 40 minutes. And there's lots of other things in Bradford as well. It just so happened that a couple of months prior when I, when I was uh, searching online for information, I was learning things about Islam. I came across this one teacher who had this markaz, this uh, center for Islamic learning in Liverpool and Huddersfield. And so I used to watch some of his talks. And that's why when we went to Bradford, first of all, when, it, when we first moved to Bradford, it was a spiritual opening for me because I was so happy to, just to be able to walk to a masjid. It was walking distance for the first time in my life. And not just one, there's like three masajid, walking distance. I could go to this one or this one or this one. I asked the king, where am I? SubhanAllah. Um, and that was just, and at the time I didn't know, alhamdulillah, um, you know, sometimes innocence is bliss. I didn't know about sectarian differences and divides. Yeah. Uh, differences. Yeah. 
I had no knowledge about that. You know, I'm just a beginner, like a baby, like a newborn baby, just wanting to do the basics and learn the basics. And obviously the Arabic and the basics of Aqidah and the basics of Fiqh and the basics of uh, whatever you would learn in an Islamic course. Anyway, we, we, that's why Bradford was special, specifically Can because... I just, sorry, I just wanted to clarify for, for people not in the UK or not from the UK that are listening to this, Bradford is a town in the north of England that is, um, I think it's fair to say, pretty predominantly Pakistani to the extent that it's it's often dubbed Bradistan. Um, and or Bradford Sharif, have you heard that? Or Brad, I, I, w- I was going to say that, but I, I, I didn't know how disrespectful we wanted to get. But yeah, Bradford and Sharif. <laughs> um it's uh it's an interesting place if you ever are in the uk if you've never been to bradford if you're from the uk and you've never been to bradford it's it's a very unique town um but it's i think it, it's known commonly for just having uh, a large pakistani community and 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 often a lot of kind of um problems that say that kind of stem from that and, and whatever else but anyway sorry you you were you were exalting the um you're exuding the the, the positivities of, of bradford please yeah yeah, as you said, though, there are definitely lots of negatives that I was ignorant of at yeah. the time. Um, you must have lived in some crazy bubble at the time. Yeah, exactly. It was a bubble. It was just a bubble of, okay, now I'm married. Yeah. Again, for the first time, I mean, you know, something that I felt like, you know, alhamdulillah, a halal a relationship, which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I had time to, because I was still um, able to locum. Locum is like to just work for opticians on a day, daily basis. Mm. So whenever an optician was short staffed, they could call me. And one or two opticians uh, wanted me like regularly. So I used to work two days a week at that time uh, in Leeds, like spec savers and another optician. Cause I was, uh, I still had that qualification and some experience. So I had a lot of time now. So now I have time. I'm not doing music anymore, which was taking up all of my spare time in the last couple of years. All my spare time was going towards either writing or promoting now I have time um I'm not working full-time working two days a week uni hadn't started yet so I'm going to this uh course in Huddersfield and in Bradford I'm able to just immerse myself in the mosque five times a day I could go um walk to the mosque do my prayers and just be in a it was like a bubble in a way mm-hmm. but I was sort of around people for the first time I'm seeing people in the masjid all the time you know, I didn't even know that these people existed prior to that. The type of people that I saw that, that were there in the, in the masjid. And so this was my initial uh, ex- Bradford experience. Um, but then uni started. And when uni started, because I'd already done a couple of months of the sacred sciences uh, course, you know, just the weekly thing and things were developing, alhamdulillah, um, and, you know, more dhikr. I was trying gravitating towards more dhikr, more remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When uni started, I realized that actually this is not what I want. I'm not comfortable imagining myself completing this accelerated course and just becoming an optometrist. Yeah. I felt like there was something more uh, that I could do. And I wanted to... Um, at the time, I, I was also... Um, you know, obviously, a lot of us disagree with um, the, the certain issues, political issues. Mm. But obviously, often we're not able to sort of do anything about it. 
But one thing that I felt I could do uh, in my disagreement with certain political uh, decisions that the British government may have made, whether it be the war in Iraq, whether it be, you know, supporting countries that were uh, oppressing, I felt my Muslim brothers and sisters, I felt that one thing that I could do uh, is leave, leave the country as well, make a hijrah. And I also felt like that would allow me to perhaps be in a more conducive environment so that I could develop even more. Because remember, I'm not now in the public eye. Had I been in the public eye, I perhaps would have seen some kind of fruits of what I'd already learned and then maybe stayed and benefited the community and people are doing that. And, and I myself have benefited from people that, are, that do that. So it's, it is important and it's needed. But because I had completely cut off from social media and the public, the idea and the thought of hijrah made sense to me at the time. Um, and so two months into the university course, I actually uh, dropped out of it. I just paid a fee that I had to pay for doing two months. And I did a one month English teaching course instead, because I thought if I'm going to go abroad, I can teach English. English used to be my favorite subject anyway. So uh, I thought it wouldn't be too difficult. So I did that in Leeds which is right near Bradford, opposite Leeds Uni. There was a, but it, this is available. It's called CELTA, but there's lots of other certificates that are available. That it's you, like TEFL, right? Exactly. Teaching English as a foreign language. And it's the easiest way to get a job in any foreign country. Yeah. Because the main thing that any foreign country needs that is non-English -speak, non speaking, they need English teachers and they need native English teachers. Even if you don't have experience, as long as you have a basic, basic qualification and you're well-spoken and you have some teaching skills, you know, you've got your people's person, it's very easy to actually get a job abroad. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened then. Um, I, and Malaysia was on the list and Morocco was on the list of, you know, the Hijra list. I thought Malaysia perhaps because I'd heard about it. And I knew can, I, can, I, um, can I ask, so this, this notion of, of Hijra, um, you kind of brushed over how it got incepted into your head because I, I think like, you know, when, again, when we discussed this previously, I was saying that like, I feel that when it comes to the struggle that we as Muslims in the West face and in non-Muslim environments, they're obviously different to the struggles of Muslims in the East, but we're all going to be judged based on our context and our struggle relative to ourselves. Right. That's for me, the justice of God. Um, so, whilst you can take yourself out of um the environment here uh that's i i personally don't believe that's the only option i don't think you you necessarily do either but obviously for yourself you saw it as being the way that you want to do it now obviously hijra migration is a is a is a concept in islam the prophet peace be upon him also did that in his life but what kind of um, spurred you on to, to thinking that this is what I need to do for myself? Yeah. Um, at the time, it was a variety of reasons. Um, uh, I felt spiritual. At that time, I felt ethical as well. It's almost like a boycott movement, you know, like a BDS. Like if somebody came to me with uh, two packets of dates, and one dates was from a and one pack of dates was from a country that was perhaps oppressing, and another pack of dates was from a country that was not. I might buy the dates from 
a country that was not just just to feel like I'm not supporting a country or a state that I felt maybe uh, uh, pressing people in any way. Uh, so that was part of it. Another part was uh, the Arabic because I wanted to improve my Arabic. And you know, in England, it's it, it's possible, it's very possible. And uh, mashallah, there's lots of great students of Arabic and English, but of, of in, in England, lots of great Arabic students. But so the Arabic language, being around, just just being in a Muslim country, I wanted to. I felt like that's where I belonged because now my life was just all revolving around Islam, and I just left uni and I thought, okay, so being in a Muslim country makes sense. And um, I, I was uncomfortable with paying taxes to a government that I disagreed with. And, and it's difficult, you know, it depends how far can you take it because we don't know the politics of any country really. It's something that's a bit hidden from us. We're not in politics. Yeah. We're not, not the big decision makers. But there was something, there were some red lines for me in that respect. And, um, and, uh, and also we were expecting our first baby and I partly felt like my father's generation had migrated to England on an economic hijrah. Wasn't necessarily, these were the people that I knew. I know that there are other circles in England that know people that actually literally went for dawah. But because the niya, the intention of the people that I knew and that I had been influenced by was an economic hijrah. Religion was never a main part. And so I was born into a certain atmosphere, uh, which didn't have religion as perhaps uh, at the forefront, uh, essential yeah. element. And that's not the case for everyone. It's definitely not the case for everyone. I Later on, I realized, you know, like in Bradford Sharif and, and other places as well, that there's some, there's even some Darul Ulum, subhanAllah, in England, where they do Quran memorization and proper Islamic schools. Um, this I discovered later. But, um, uh, so I felt like the niya of that put me in a certain environment and I didn't want then to put my future child in the same position of having certain obstacles in their Islamic path because they're in a country that is not considered uh, a Muslim country. These were the thoughts that were going through my mind at the time. Um, and after tasting another, actually, actually I just remembered that another major factor was when I was doing that weekend course and we were learning and we were learning some really beneficial stuff. We were learning some aqidah, some duas. We were learning a bit of Arabic and it was just a really beautiful environment, with beautiful brothers and sisters. And first time I'd been in an environment like that. But very quickly, I realized that now we're starting to learn lots of things. Lots of theory without being able to put all of the knowledge that we're gaining into practice. So what it became was like, okay, yes, we know that we're supposed to sort of pray in this way and have this kind of Islamic identity and this kind of ummah and, the, you know, the strength in the ummah. Um, and that's when I also started discovering the other side of Bradford, which is very sectarian, where although there are many masajid and a stranger might hear the amount of Muslims in Bradford and think, mashallah, tabarakallah. But the reality is that the Muslims are not united because there's no uniting authority to sort of say, this is how it's going to be. What happens is this is a Sufi masjid. This is a Salafi masjid. This is a Iraqi masjid. This is a Bangladeshi masjid. This one doesn't go into that masjid. That one doesn't go into this masjid. And very uh, fragmented, the Ummah. And there's no, there's no strength. Um, 
and 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 so there's that and also the fact that i wanted to put the basics that i was learning into practice with excellence with ihsan because you know the hadith jibril there's a hadith called hadith jibril where rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is asked by what he later um, uh, revealed was jibril alayhi salam jibril alayhi salam about islam he said what is islam and he explained what is islam the five pillars then he asked him what is iman and he explained the six articles of faith and then he said what is ihsan and he said an ta'budullah ka annaka tara wa in lam tara fa innahu yarak that you worship allah as though you're seeing him and if you don't see him even if you don't see him know that he's seeing you so it's a level of excellence a level of awareness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is like very high like khushu like sometimes when you pray a salah and you really feel like this was a great salah this was a great prayer i felt a connection with my lord it's like being in that state all the time in salah and out of salah subhanallah when i came to morocco i just i met someone like that who's always in that state he's in the desert somewhere even in and that's why even in fez even in morocco where i am now the youth are facing the same challenges that they're facing in england this the, the, the same entertainment industry is there the same fitna is there the same temptations of the nafs is there a lot of is the same but what is better is that there's one i'm talking about yeah. morocco i don't know about other uh, sort of countries but with morocco there's a unifying authority it's a, there's a ministry of islamic affairs which is part of the government which um keeps a certain level of unity so eid is going to be this day everyone's going to there's no two eids it's not no i'm going to do eid this day and you're going to do it tomorrow um and you know everyone you you can do certain you can you can do certain things islamic activities but it needs to kind of remain within the moroccan way of sort of islam it can't go too much out. and if it does you just can't propagate it too much you can't you wouldn't be able to whereas you know in the west there's good and bad in the fact that we have that freedom to do whatever we want the good is that good comes out of it because good people can do good things but the perhaps the negative is that they're not necessarily doing that with a pure intention they're just doing that to get people to that country and to allow the economy to benefit because the more people that move to england and the economy moves and there's different yeah. jobs that are created so they don't mind in a place where the one who worships god is equal to the one who wor- worships the devil for example you're you're equal you all have your rights the same way so um, i i think i, I wanted to so, just come in here quickly um regarding what you mentioned about um having a governing body when it comes to islam and even just generally again something that i've seen and i'm sure a lot of people will will also uh, appreciate is that when we look at muslim countries and i know you know you're talking specifically about morocco but there are there are many out there um we take the example of the uae um so very recently it's a muslim country halal food everywhere whatever i mean think of uae and dubai what you will because i know people are very um fragmented in their in their sentiments towards um the uae but very recently i'm sure you'll have seen that you know the uae struck a peace deal with um israel um and that's something that a lot of muslims have a large um contention with and the, i guess the issue that i'm trying to assess here is that i feel like when it comes to muslim countries unfortunately um we don't have for me at least i don't see any one in the world that is entirely 
perfect or representative for me as to what um, Islam or how Islam should be um, practiced and propagated, you know, in a kind of nation state. And I think that notion of having an Islamic country is quite difficult to tackle and get your head around, right? So even, you know, there was the, the previously Saudi Arabia were like the, the, the bastions of Islam in the world seen by a majority of Muslims. Now I think there's a lean towards Turkey. Um, on, on the Shia spectrum, you've got Iran that has a, a obviously major um, pace to play. But there's a lot of kind yeah. of politics within that. And I think what's difficult, and, and again, I don't know too much about the Moroccan context, but what you described about having this kind of unified approach or like this one um, mono approach to how we're going to do things mm -hmm. is that it's all well and good if you fit within the fold. If you're, if you're within yeah. that framework and you can you can abide by the narrative then cool but the question i guess is then like where do you have your religious freedoms when you don't want to conform so i know for example in malaysia yeah. um i know that minority groups often get a hard time there as like nice and amazing as a country as it is there still is when it comes to matters of religion because religion is so close to all of our hearts as well i i fully appreciate that you know if, if me and you are running a, a religious authority for a government we're going to have we're going to be as open-minded as i'm sure we want to be but we'll still be like this is it right this is the framework don't yeah. fall outside it and we'll think we're being as expansive as possible but that's only in our limited capacity do you know what i mean yeah um and, and I, I mean always, I, I think that's the interesting you know, thing when it comes about, to thinking about yeah, um true. nation states and 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 islam and, and propagation and practice yeah and and subhanallah you know when we talk about these big concepts it just reminded me of what you're saying about what I've learned from my teacher, my, my sheikh who lives in a desert town in Morocco called Arisani. Um, I lived there for two months. It's, it's, it would be difficult to live there, um, you know, to move there. I wanted to at one point, but um, I'm able to visit him. You know, nowadays because of coronavirus, there's not travel between cities. But one thing that he has taught me is the essence of the Islamic concepts and how that is most important, the essence, not to take things literally, rather to understand the meaning behind it. And so one thing that I came to realize, and I'm still uh, understanding more and more, is that hijrah is, uh, in, in Arabic, the, the root word is to abandon. And so it's to abandon whatever gets in the way of you and a connection and a closeness to Allah, to your Lord. And so actually anyone who intends to leave bad habits and go towards good habits or leave a certain lifestyle and change their lifestyle towards another lifestyle is a muhajir. Anyone can make an intention for hijrah and not even mm. leave the country, not even leave their city, not even leave their town, not even leave their house. But you can still be a muhajir because the essence of hijrah is to abandon whatever displeases Allah in your life and then get closer to Allah as a result. And that may include, if the situation requires or allows, that may also include a physical relocation. But the more important thing and the main thing is to have the hijrah in your heart because I have met in my, because now I've been in Morocco for five years and 65 years, you know, you do meet some people that have made the physical move, but not necessarily, you know, that still, obviously we're all still struck, you know, we're all trying to 
but there are still certain bad habits that they're not able to let go of. So they're still in a kind of, and there may be some people that haven't made a physical move to another country, but are engaged in dropping all their bad habits and becoming a better person and purifying themselves and being in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sometimes a, 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 they can be a, more of a muhajid than someone who's moved by thinking that is just hijrah. Um, it's not. That is not. Um, uh, so, subhanAllah, it, it, for me, it happened to include a physical move as well. And I have benefit. I just have to say that for, English, for British Muslims who want to experience, no matter where you're from, I feel like Morocco is um, a good example of uh, you know, it, it's, there's a chilled atmosphere here. There's a chilled atmosphere. There's no force to do anything. Um, you have the options to live the lifestyle that you want to live, but it's just that, you know, the masjid is there. You want to go to the masjid, you can go to the masjid. At the same time, when the adhan calls, you can go to the cafe. No one's going to say anything. You can wear this, it's fine. You can wear a suit and tie, it's fine. You can wear a t-shirt, it's fine. People don't Alhamdulillah, Morocco, and I think it's the closest Muslim country to England. So if people wanted to experience Islam in the modern age, as uh, I think Morocco, mashallah, and the, you know, the king, he's, uh, he's Ahl al-Bayt as well, part of the family of Rasulullah, he's got the tree. And that's a blessing for me as well. Um, that's a blessing. And, uh, you know, my, my teacher, my guide in, in, in the desert, he mentions that a lot. As well. He said, this is an amana for the people of dhikr. They make a lot of dhikr. And for protection, for, for, for this, especially because of that amana, because the king is 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 and uh, he's and Allah's put him in a position to lead a country. I mean, those are the big things. But for the small, for the everyday in school, my kids are able to learn Arabic as a normal subject. They, you know, my my son is five and he already can speak Arabic, and that's just from being here. The masjid is always walking distance; is close. Everyone's Muslim. There are lots of good things and. Not to say that it's Jannah, because there's no Jannah. And there are many, you know, especially when you're married, when you've got a kid, you've got that sort of to deal with of how to, how to be the best husband and how to be the best um, uh, uh, father. Uh, and, and, and that's also why I'm glad that in the last five years I've not been on social media because it made me, it, it, I don't have that aspect of the ego that I'm a kind of guide for people. Whereas in my house, I can't even, you know, uh, there's a, a, you know, my relationship with my own wife and my kids, mm. the public don't know what that's like. That might be something I still need to work on and improve. Whereas on the public, I can just start putting some statuses out there and sounding like a guru. And people yeah. think, wow, so amazing. But because that's not there, I'm able to, and, and that made me think of the dua once where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, in the Quran that there's a dua of the Ibrahim Rahman, the ones who say, um, uh, 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 ya Allah, make the make our spouses and children the coolness of ours. Qurra ta'ayunin wajalna lil muttaqina imama. So first, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says um, um, to sort your family life, and then He says you might be qualified to be an imam for the people. Because if you can't even be an imam in your own house, uh, a leader in your own house what type of leadership could you possibly provide? If you did provide leadership to the public, it would be slightly um, defective. Because if you're not a complete teacher, you're going to have sort of incomplete students as well, and they might remain like that. So in that sense, I would 
This I was going to say this, this, prog- this podcast I'm now has been officially wants- sponsored by the Morocco Tourism Board. Thanks, thanks for this. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I was going to say like time is 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 getting away from us a little bit. But, um, I feel like we've we've gone through seventy to eighty percent of 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 the journey, um, and we've kind of almost gone full circle in that you've just released two new youtube videos um where i, I mean obviously they're, they're spoken word religious pieces as opposed to well what one is one is thicker right the one is kind of a spoken word um yeah so what, what i was gonna say and ask i guess is that what's what what is that feeling like now for you because i'm sure you remember 15 years or 15 years ago sam khan uploading tracks to youtube like getting that little buzz and thinking yeah i'm gonna be a celeb i'm gonna be a star um now you're back to uploading stuff on youtube yeah um but i'm sure it's in a very different way yeah subhanallah yeah it's strange it's been seven years since i've uploaded something and yeah like you've got the said, just a couple to the of days one, right? ago so i made a new youtube account spoken word fez <laughs> um, I, was... I still can't get into that one how did that one's locked off um, this one is new. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us to be able to make a place of dhikr here in Fez. So I have a flat. Um, you know, when I had uh, some savings, when I used to work as a dispensing optician, the first thing I did with my savings when I started practicing properly is to pay the zakat that I hadn't paid in all the previous years that I had been working but not paying zakat. And I had my bank statement. So I remember once sitting in, in a mosque and trying to work it all out. And, and, and one of the second things I did was, uh, Alhamdulillah, subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me to be able to go to Hajj. Um, I mean, at that time, it was slightly cheaper than now, I think. But, but still, uh, I had enough money. I had some savings from when I used to. So I went to Hajj just before I came to Morocco. And it was actually the year that the crane fell on the masjid and it was very memorable, that Hajj. I mean, that was a, just that day. I mean, just to divert from your original question, but it was a, it was a day of Jum'ah. And it was in the morning of the Jum'ah. And we're in Mecca. Went to the uh, Masjid al-Haram. And then During I got to pray in the well, front row. There, yeah? Jum'ah, Salat al-Jum'ah. On the front, even though it's packed at that time, I got to pray in the front row. SubhanAllah. And I got to read my Surah al-Kahf in that part, that semicircle, which is in front of the Kaaba, which is considered, if you pray in there, it's like praying in the Kaaba. I got to sort of, I sort of avoided the policeman and prayed my Surah Al-Kath and then now I'm sitting there thinking, and then I started memorizing Surah Al-Jum'ah because I thought I need to remember this day. This is like the best, best day of my life. And then before Maghrib started raining and the, and the crane fell and lots of people died. Um, and it was just, yeah, I mean, it was Were you just, in the uh, masjid? Were you in the masjid when the crane fell? Yeah, I mean, that day was remembered for sort of different reasons. Uh, 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 yeah, I saw, I saw, and then afterwards I was with a couple of people helping um, some of the, uh, some of the oh. people. Uh, there was lots of dead bodies, lots of blood, like we literally saw it in front of our eyes. Um, and it was still raining, so the police started pushing everyone away, but there was three or four of us that went to, you know, they were putting prayer mats over the dead bodies. Um, and the, I mean, just the one thing that I remember is this brother, it was raining and he was bleeding, he was, looks like he was dying. And, uh, you know, I leaned over to him just to talk to him. 
just to give him some company because you know he was alone and the ambulance hadn't got to him yet. And all he kept repeating with this look of, you know, the sound of contempt, he said, Anaradin his, his leg, his foot was cut off, his head was, he was just saying, I'm content with the decree of Allah. I'm content with the decree of Allah. He kept repeating that. And subhanAllah, when I came to Morocco and then I met my teacher, it's the same thing that he always says. He says, just be content with the decree of Allah. Just be content with the decree of Allah. And it reminds me of, of that. Um, and that, that's one thing that I, is very important, like the contentment with it. Of doing the, you know, the, the three things I feel like for us to begin is avoiding the prohibitions, uh, implementing the command and contentment with the decree, uh, which comes with sabr and we need patience. And he just kept repeating that, subhanAllah. Um, and then I never saw him after that. So I don't know whether he survived or not. But yeah, so with the money, um, then I went to Hajj and then when we came to Morocco, the rest of the money that I had, I was able to buy a flat here. So it was about, it comes to about 30, Not you can buy bad. a flat here, three bedroom flat for about 40,000 yeah. pounds in this area of Fez. And then my dad purchased the premises underneath. So we made like a little language center where I teaching, I taught English sometimes, but now I transformed that language center into a dhikr hub. So I recite Quran every day and it's we'll put we'll put the link in the description so, so if anybody wants to follow on listen the out. details are on the website and that's one of the reasons why i also wanted to um, make and upload tracks again now now with the niyyah of spreading the dhikr of allah and uh, allowing that's why in the recent track that i uploaded called uh, astaghfirullah at the end there's a dua the chorus is actually a dua and if you say that three times before you sleep, Rasulullah said that Allah will forgive all of your sins, even if they were as much as the foam of the ocean. And so now I feel like I can make tracks and with the hooks, I can make them as adhkar that is established in the sunnah. And so people can listen to the track. And then at the end, the hook is some dhikr that they could remember and help to memorize. And dusting, that dusting off the old mic. Worthy of me getting back out there and <laughs> and doing and also yes, yeah, subhanallah, that's literally and and secondly that through that people could also then discover the the, the daily zoom that we do. So reading I, I complete the Quran is something that is done in Morocco anyway. It's a tradition here to complete the Quran every month. So you can read a juz a day. So I do that on Zoom and some salawat. Um, and also if anybody had the idea of moving yeah in. i saw they you've got kind of life website. in morocco on the blog and everything like, I, 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 I like and, and i like obviously that you're such a big advocate for um yeah. making hijra and for people moving out and it's i think it's nice and, and and as i said for for me when when we were speaking back in the day that that sam khan that i knew back then um and i i, I can scroll up on our facebook messenger and then you can see like the co previous conversations and then the most recent when you sent over um, one of your tracks and you've you've kind of just it's like two different people entirely um but it's this is what I, as i said i wanted to for myself understand the journey that you had been on and i find that it's always really beneficial um when when you do or when you're able to kind of probe and ask people questions and understand a little bit more about the journey um like you said right with the, when we had that first phone call you were realizing stuff yourself just through the questions I was asking. Um, and, and I thought, and like, you know, in, initially, I guess for context, initially, you didn't want to talk about 
the details of of the music of Sam Khan of the brand of all of that kind of stuff because you don't want people to kind of go in and, and dig out the yeah. stuff and whatever else but I think um if people look we, we, as we said if people want to go find stuff they'll go and find it anyway but for me it's more about being able to show people that there is um possibility for 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 things to change for yourself to change for your circumstances but I, I I think like I always see with all of these kinds of things sometimes and very rarely people will 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 almost stumble upon uh, a change in their life that they didn't even expect or realize and that's like kind of God literally you know grabbing them by the collar and dragging them out of a situation but often it's the case that there needs to be an intention there needs to be a desire and then Allah's hand will kind of help you along the way um, but 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 core to that and it's something you said quite early on is about having that intention and 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 sticking to that intention and then trusting in God and asking God and and pursuing things in the right way um, and then seeing where your life takes you and personally as well you know I, I believe that we all have different paths so you know it isn't to say that okay th the way forward is Morocco and t teach English and open a zikr center whatever else but it just shows you that like your life can take you absolutely anywhere you know who, if if me and you had sat down in that opticians 14 years ago whatever and and I had told you oh you're gonna have two kids you're gonna be married and living in Morocco and you would literally you, you'd have laughed at me you would have <laughs> it was the furthest thing from <laughs> from plausibility right but it's just it's it's amazing <laughs> I think you know I'm I've just entered my 30s yeah. now and and I'm starting yeah. to appreciate um they we should respect our elders um and for me a big part of that is that life teaches you so much and as much as you might have your head uh, screwed on in your early 20s like I, I i like to think i did but i look on 10 years down the line and i'm like oh what a fool i was back then you know what i mean i thought i knew the world i didn't know anything um and i can only imagine what the next five ten years is going to bring and how i'm going to look at myself now today and probably listen back to this kind of stuff and think oh yeah you thought you knew what you were talking about you don't know anything um but yeah no man i i, I mean thank you for 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 sharing all of that i know we've we've been yeah. through like uh what t 13 14 years of your life in the space of an hour um it's is there anything else? I guess I, 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 I do like asking this, but is there anything else that you wanted to add? Because I know we've, we've, we've kind of skipped over bits and we've had to be a bit brief at times, but is there anything else that, that you wanted to convey and get across um, before we wrap up? Um, maybe just a summary of what we've already discussed. I mean, Barakalafik, thanks a lot for inviting me on. Um, and subhanAllah, everything happens at the time that it's decreed and the time that Allah wills. And uh, uh, if anyone is out there and, you know, has that intention, uh, then just know that things can change. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to change your whole reality in the blink of an eye. And uh, um, subhanAllah, it's... Uh, the intention is everything and mahabba. That's, I'll end it with two things that my, my sheikh, my teacher says. Uh, he just says that if you have niya, intention and mahabba, which is like a love. Uh, and for me, I understand that love as loving Allah more than you love anything else. That's how I understand the concept of mahabba. Allahu alam. Then everything's going to be okay. 
and uh, trials and tribulations are part of life. You can't avoid them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, We will test you. We can't sort of get away from that, but um, you know, with patience and uh, with, uh, with, with, the, with the intention there, alhamdulillah, um, and dhikr. The, the, my, my sort of path has been very dhikr-based and the, the dhikr of Allah, the remembrance of Allah. And that, the, the last thing maybe I'd like to just leave people with is that that really creates a lifestyle change because sometimes you can do a course, you can do an Islamic course to try and improve and it's beneficial, but the course starts and the course ends. Or the book, you pick up a book, it starts and it has an end. Um, or you watch a YouTube speech and it starts and you feel good and it's like a buzz and then it goes down and then so it's fluctuating all the time. But the main, the best thing that I've sort of realized in the last couple of years from the guidance of my teacher and the word, the sort of dhikr that he's given me is to do things with consistency. And there's a hadith of, of Rasulullah who said that the most beloved acts to Allah are those that are most consistent, even if they're few. And that's the, one of the secrets of dhikr. If you can just do something which you make an intention that I'm going to do this until I die. Every day in the morning, I'm going to say Astaghfirullah for example, three times in the morning and three times when I sleep. And it's just a small act that you're doing. But you say, I'm going to do this until I die. It's, that's a lifestyle change and that's a um, commitment. And it sticks uh, rather. Than, and so those things are more beneficial, I found for me and perhaps for others as well than um, things that start and stop because we want consistency. So that's the thing that I've probably benefited from the most. So reading Quran, you know, if you can make a Quran schedule for yourself, uh, however many pages that you want to read it and stick to it, and it becomes like a goal, something to aim towards rather than being aimless. And even with dhikr, sometimes we can pick up dhikr and we enjoy it for a while and then we should look for another sort of type of dhikr or another type of dua. But the best ones are the ones that we do regularly. So it becomes like an extension to the five daily prayers. For example, if someone wasn't praying before and they started praying, that's a lifestyle change because now they're not going to stop praying again. They're going to pray until they, till the end of their life. And if they miss it, they can make it up. But that's the only thing. I mean, Allah alam and, you know, alhamdulillah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to um, reflect and, uh, and the opportunity to uh, talk about the past and, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, keeps us all in his care and protection, guides us all, and makes the ummah strong, inshallah, and united, and make things easy for people, inshallah, during this time, and grant shifa, grant uh, ease, and, 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 uh, and uh, if anyone's ill, grant them shifa, inshallah, cure, and uh, just closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most important thing, inshallah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, let us die upon that. With, with his name on our lips, inshallah. Amen. Uh, once again, man, thank you so much for, for coming on, for sharing so much with us. Um, and let's stay in touch more often now, please. <laughs> it's been like few and far between our, our communication. It would be good to just uh, stay in touch on WhatsApp and, and, and check in every now and yeah, then. I've got the WhatsApp now, alhamdulillah. <laughs> and you're welcome, eh? you're welcome anytime at 10 o'clock. It's every day at 10 o'clock if you wanted to join the daily yeah, yeah. Quran. So, as I said, send, send me the link after this and then I'll put it in the description as well with all the details and the website and everything else. So if people want to, if they want to get in touch with you as well, they can. Yeah, um, Thanks again for having thank me. Thank you, bro. Take care. So that was my chat with uh, my good old friend Samir. Uh, I'm not used to calling him Samir because it was always Sam Khan back in the day. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. Like I'm I'm 
I think it's it's well even when we spoke on the phone earlier um, before we recorded the podcast he, he was talking about the notion of hijra and migration and I think we had a bit of a back and forth and we also had it on the podcast as well over like whether physical relocation is what's required and what's good and blah 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 um, and I think um, like he like he mentioned um, on the podcast it's not necessarily always about the physical migration but it can also be like a mental state of mind so you know if you choose to take yourself out of an environment of a certain group of friends or a certain action or whatever um, but that intention is there um, that can be your own little kind of personal hijra um, but yeah and it's it's I think it was quite notable as well that especially when he was kind of talking about um, his 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 rap and music days initially in the conversation he was quite um, reluctant and and like he was very deliberate kind of in the words that he was using um, and even like he didn't initially as I, as I mentioned he didn't want to use his name um, he didn't want people to be able to kind of you know search up the stuff and whatever else but for me that in itself is quite an important um, attribute that you know often you get people who, who will go down a better path but when they talk about the the their former selves their days of jahiliya some people like to put it there's still that kind of um happy nostalgia attached to it whereas i felt like with samir like i really had to kind of drag out the uh, the story from him but that's just a testament to his character and i guess you know what what he's kind of built up for himself in terms of his own um, mental state of being and inclination towards allah and towards the religion and everything else um yeah, that's. I, I think that's pretty much everything. Um, as always, thank you guys for tuning in to another podcast. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please do give us feedback. Give me feedback. You can reach me on... Well, you can tweet the Muslim Vibe or message us on Instagram or you can email me on editor at themuslimvibe.com. Um, also, feel free to give it like a, a five-star rating um on wherever you get your apps i mean wherever you get your podcasts um that would be really great and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already um we i think i'm i think i've got like a few lined up now so we're, we're probably gonna have uh another couple of months of weekly podcasts it's not easy guys to be honest um finding the time and producing and you know speaking to guests and and, and doing it i hope i hope people appreciate that um and so like i feel really bad when we when we have a few weeks of no podcast but i also think i need a break from like the structured thing of of doing this and, and whatever so yeah um but thank you guys again very much for tuning in appreciate it um as as i always i guess mention at some point in the podcast um if you would like to support the muslim vibe for any amount um you can do so there's a link in the description um, even like five pound a month. I think five pound a month for our podcast is is, is, is a decent trade off, um, and and I hope um, you benefit. I guess in some way, um, and 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 that money will obviously go towards us being able to do a lot more and create more content and and just keep doing what we're doing. Um, thank you everyone for your support. We do have regular donors coming in on a, on a recurring basis, and 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 that really really does go a long way. Um, and inshallah I will be back next week with another podcast take care guys um, stay safe are we still saying stay safe I think we are I mean COVID's not gone yet so yeah stay safe and uh, see you next week Ooh.